0: the day and he tells me you know hey dad um you know thanks for the cell phone it's been great using it to call you and at the same time I've been I already made a thousand dollars this summer um in renting it out and I'm like are you kidding me this is like incredible he's like yeah I'm going to use it to um you know to buy that new laptop that I wanted for school and then I'm thinking it's not your phone it's not your money are you with me on this Uh Ah. so I mean he may have rented it out and whatever but it's not he didn't rent out his own thing it's my I mean I bought the phone it's not his phone he's using it over the summer so <laughs> what do you guys think should he be able to keep the money or is it my money
1: well I think he was very ingenious to yes. to to do it okay and I think I think maybe part of the money and the rest for the
0: okay. okay
1: okay yeah pay you Pay you for your amount and keep the rest.
0: So he should pay for whatever the phone is or the service, and then okay, you're saying he should keep that profit. Okay, what else? What do you guys think? I
1: feel like Alan gave it to him and it's his, and, and let him use his head and do what he wants to. And he's he's been very smart with it. He should keep the
0: money. Okay, yeah. you, listen, you got. He'll be very happy to hear this. He'll be very happy to hear you guys. I'm gonna tell Mendel. You have a whole, like, a team behind you that's rooting for you. But, <laughs> yes. I, I, Henry, my counter-argument is this. And I don't disagree with you. Like a whole, I'm, Here's the counter-argument. The counter-argument is, look, when I gave him the phone, the understanding is, look, it's not, he knows it's not his phone. It's not like I gave him a phone to keep. It's a phone that he's using over the summer. And um, it's, it's, you know, it's my phone. And the understanding is that I gave it to him to use... For, for you know to call in for his personal like you know to, to call us and whatever so the fact that he's going ahead and turning around it and 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 giving it to others or renting it to others that might be that you can theoretically say constitutes a violation of our agreement so to speak of what the use of the phone is for i mean is that not an argument I, again i'm not i'm just wondering out loud you
1: have to well, put the parameters of that on, on- you deal with them in the beginning.
0: Um, right. I can type something up quickly and 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 and, and, and um, right. date it a little bit back. I mean, if that's what it takes, I, I don't mind you know changing the metadata.
1: <laughs> no, a conditional gift if you have all that uh, assigned to it. And and I, I don't know. Uh, it's I, I understood it's a gift to him in the beginning and it ought to be a free gift. Now you say it's not a gift you loaned it to him. Right. Uh, Are you planning on taking it back when he gets
0: home? From yeah, home? he doesn't need a phone when he's home. Yeah, he doesn't need a phone. It was only because he's out of town and whatever. He doesn't need a cell. I mean, he's in the house. What is he gonna do? Call me from downstairs? Hey, Dad, <laughs> and to, and and just communicating with friends. I don't know that we want that guy. I, he, we want to lock him down. You know, that's. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. So, um,
1: so wouldn't this be the equivalent of a company car? Suppose oh. I bought a car. And uh, you uh, provided it to your son for his use to and from whatever he's supposed to do over the summer. And he also said, wait a minute, I got some buddies that want to go up to uh, go to the ball game or uh, whatever. And uh, I'll take some cash in on that. Would that make it a a different?
0: Ooh, you're asking a good question. Or what about a company car that somebody uses and then they flip it? I don't they don't sell it, but they they then sub whatever, they then start renting it out to friends, you know, and meanwhile they're getting, they're profiting off of the company car. Would you guys say something different about, would the, would the opinion be a little bit different in that case? In yeah. stance, okay. Yeah. Is the difference because one is a father and son and one is a company and an employer yes. employee? Okay.
1: Phone no. Instead of a car. I Wh- think the idea is the gift.
0: Right, okay. The
1: gift notion.
0: Yeah. Got it. Okay. Good. Fair enough. By the way, I need to, I need to confess. I need to confess. The story never happened. Um, <laughs> didn't happen, we but neither. all right. I figured some of you might know that, but the story didn't happen, but it leads us into today's conversation because today we're going to talk about profiting off of someone else's stuff. Can't, is it legal to earn money off of something that's not yours. So the scenario that I gave you is my kid. But, so just, just to uh, explain. I did give my kid a cell phone. It was a gift. He did not rent it out to any friends. He did not make $1,000. He has used it very sparingly because there are pay phones. Or there, not pay phones. There are pay phones. Remember those things. There are phones yeah. on the wall in the dorms where he's staying in New Jersey. So um, that's it. But, so the story is not, uh, apologies for, uh, for this, but really it was a way to kind of engage us all in this conversation about the core issue that we're dealing with today, which is in this you be the judge, which is why I asked you, you be the judge. Imagine if me and my son, I, I mean, hopefully not right, but imagine if we come in front of you and say, I say it's my thousand dollars. He says it's his thousand dollars. You be the judge. And I heard beautiful ideas. And I actually agree with all of the ideas because they all make sense. Um, the question is, according to, US law, Jewish law, what do you do in a case where somebody is standing to profit off of something that they don't own? Is that legal? Kosher? Who gets the money? Give me another example. Imagine frequent flyer miles. Yeah? Imagine, a, now. nowadays, you know, the, the, the things, are, things have been figured out, but not that long ago, right, when the company would buy you a ticket, to go somewhere on business, you could put your own frequent flyer number and get mileage. Correct? Yes? Maybe? People do that. People do that. And now let's say back Delta... 90,
1: not back in the 90s.
0: Not in the 90s. Okay.
1: I traveled, I traveled to amount in the late 90s.
0: And who got the points? The company? They-
1: that was their rule. People that was the rule. Anyway.
0: Okay, so let's say it's before that. I think already they were already, you know, they, they figured out how to do it. But uh, theoretically, let's say the person, the employee, was able to put in their number on the, on, the, on the travel. They booked it, whatever, but it was on a company card. And now they have all these perks with Delta. Right? The other Delta. the The airline Delta, right? So... Anyway, so, so they have all these points, with, uh, free tickets with Delta, and now the company says, all right, we paid for it. I mean, it's, it's ours. And the person says, yeah, but I flew. Again, a similar concept. What, about, what is the deal with profiting on someone else's stuff? So it's, it's a question that comes up in many, many different scenarios. We're going to have, I believe, four real case studies. The one I gave you was kind of like a theoretical case study with my son in the cell phone but i want to today we're going to explore four real life cases that came in front of either u.s courts or rabbinical courts about this core question can someone profit off of someone else's stuff we're the fourth case that we have today it's it's unbelievable it's about um it's about bi- human biology what happens when it when a, a a medical company right, uses someone's cells to create some sort of cure or whatever it is medically, right? They take everything, comes from some sort of cells from some sort of course. So what happens when, when the cells are taken from, from a patient and from that it, 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 it creates a breakthrough? Can that person claim that they should get money because how are you able to profit off of my cells? Are you with me on this? This is a real case, um, the case is called, I even have it up here on my own, Moore versus Regents of the University of California. This was regarding, um, this was regarding Moore's blood, bone marrow, mm. from his spleen. Oh, about regarding hairy cell leukemia. Okay, so a very, very interesting case, which we'll get to a little bit later in today's class. Okay, but first, let's get back to, uh, let, let's, let's, let's refocus, and I want to take you through this process from a perspective of Jewish law. This is very important. And we're, we're going to shift our attention away from the conversation of profiting off of someone else's stuff and talk about what happens when you give someone something to watch. So let me give you another scenario. Let's say you, you and I are meeting for lunch and you brought your laptop computer with you because you came from work and now you have your computer with you. Okay. And we're meeting for lunch in an outdoor cafe and it's so lovely, nice weather, the food is good, great. And then you turn to me and say, look, here's the deal. I actually need to run straight from this um from this lunch to the airport i have a flight to take whatever it is can you and i need to go out of town and i don't need my laptop can you take my laptop home and uh and watch it and just keep it for a few days until i get back and i say that was you right in this scenario i forgot who's who right that was you or me who knows anymore huh that was you, right? That was you, okay. So you're the one that came with the laptop, we met for lunch, then you were going on a flight, you gave me your laptop to watch, I said, no problem, no big deal. So what I do is, you know, I finish up, you, you leave to the airport, because you had a run, you take an Uber, you head straight to an airport, to the airport, you drive, whatever it is, and I have your laptop, and um, good, that's it. I finish up eating, I order some dessert, I find a friend over there. Somebody else walks in. I schmooze a little bit. And then I head home. I head home. And I'm at home. And it's midnight. And at midnight, I have the dreadful realization. Can you help me out? What did I realize at midnight?
1: You left it in the restaurant.
0: I left it not only in the restaurant, outside on the table. And, okay. and I forgot to tell you. Oh, one more thing. There was a massive rainstorm that night. A massive rainstorm and it's like midnight it. and I'm thinking, this is terrible. This is terrible. So I, I get into my car, I drive there, it's not there. Anyway, the next day, no one knows about, no one knows where it is, what happened to it, where it is, either it's ruined or it's stolen or whatever it is, either way, the laptop is, is done, it's finished. Can't be tracked, nothing, garnished, kaput. My friend, uh, you, got, you come back. You, my friend, come back a few days later. All right. First stop is my house. Where's the laptop? About that. Am I liable for the, let's say the laptop is a $1,000 laptop. Am I liable for the laptop? You be the judge. What do you think?
1: Yes. Yes. Absolutely.
0: Why, why do you say that?
1: Well, because, because somebody, tr- you trusted somebody to watch it, to take it home. Okay and it should have been in your possession because you said, I will do
0: it. Okay, so the fact that I agree, the fact that I took um, responsibility for it means that I have, even though I didn't get paid, by the way, I didn't get paid for this, right? Okay. I could say, what do you mean? I'm liable. I didn't get paid for this. But but there's, I, I, I agree with you, and Jewish law agrees with you, that when you assume responsibility and say, I will take care of it, There is a basic level of responsibility assumed that you are now responsible for and leaving it out and a cafe table does not meet that does not meet that standard now let me give you a second scenario there's gonna be three scenarios stay with me second scenario we meet you give me the laptop i take the laptop home and i put it in my house and then what happens is the next... Uh, I'm trying to think of a scenario. I hate... I don't want to speak first person about this. not
1: your computer.
0: Sorry? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, um, no, let's say... I, I mean, God forbid, I don't want to speak about myself, but let's say... Uh, okay, so the person A gave it to person B. Person B takes it home. They have the laptop in their house. And then that night someone breaks into their house. Person B's house. And the laptop and other things are stolen. And then person A comes back from the trip two days later, here to pick up the laptop, I'm so sorry. Yeah, there was a, there was a break-in, there was a theft, it was stolen. Is, pers- is, the, is the guardian, so to speak, are they liable for the thousand dollar laptop? What do you think? Yes or no? It depends on
1: uh, whether or not you took some necessary precautions. Uh, did you leave
0: windows open? Was no, it easy for, no, no, no windows were left open. No doors were left unlocked. It was straight up a break-in. What are you going to do? A break-in? A theft? And the laptop was was, uh, was stolen, was one of the items that were, uh, that were stolen. So again, the question on the table is, again, you be the judge. That's literally what this course is called, you be the judge. Is the guardian, the bailee, is the person that's watching the item, Responsible for the theft. Responsible for paying back the value of the item in a case of theft.
1: No.
0: Okay, so we can draw a distinction between negligence and theft. Correct. If it's negligent, if I left it on the table outside in a cafe, outdoor cafe, bro. I mean, like, what are you doing? That's not. That's that. You're liable. But if it's at the house and someone breaks in and then it's stolen, yeah. What are we gonna say? You tried your best, all right, you're off the hook. Correct? Yes? We all agree with that? Jewish law agrees with this. What happens? Third scenario. Act of God. A lightning bolt unexpectedly comes in, zaps the laptop sitting on the table, minding its own business. Or, God forbid, if somebody is living in a hurricane zone or tornado zone or whatever it is, and an act of God happens and wipes out the laptop... Is the person that took responsibility for a few days to watch the laptop liable and responsible for this act of God? No. Good. So we have three cases. Let me say them very shortly, and let me give you the, the law, which is again, Jewish law. Negligence, theft and act of God. Negligence. The, there is liability. Theft, No liability. an act of God. Certainly, no liability. But what happens if the scenario changes? I'm using my Talmudic voice. You like how I segued into that? But what happens, because we're learning, we're literally studying Talmud right now, just outside. What happens if instead of you giving me the laptop to watch and I'm watching it as a favor, what happens if you're going out of town? And there's, you know, right next door, like right there, next door to us or two doors down, next door to us is a workout place where people, there's a hill, and people are pushing iron bars, massive metal things up a hill. And I'm like, we're back to building pyramids. This is, unbe- it's like, it's, it's like, but it's a workout. Anyway, but, but past that used to be something called the dog spot. If anybody's familiar with the Highlands, something called the dog spot, where you could leave your pet while you're out of town. Now I think it's a vet, still within the animal family, nonetheless. So what happens if now there's a place called the laptop spot? You heard of it? Yeah, when you go out of town, you can leave your laptop. They take care of it, they feed it, they allow it to browse for a few hours a day. Just, I'm kidding about this, but let's say you, you paid someone to watch your laptop. So instead of giving it to me, as a favor that I was doing for you to watch it let's say you paid a company to watch your laptop and they left it outside and were negligent and it and it's gone are they liable yeah. yes let's say you paid them to watch it and they and there was a theft are they liable yes yeah. yes this is the distinction when you pay someone to watch something there's a higher level of responsibility that they take. Because if I wanted amateur hour, I wouldn't have paid someone. But I paid you, that means there's a higher level of of responsibility and thus liability. Are you with me on this? Yes. So in a case of negligence, obviously they're liable. But in a case of theft, where we said before, the unpaid bailey that's the legal term, unpaid Bailey, the person that just watched it, um, for free. Is not liable for theft. Yeah, I did. It. I did my best. I didn't expect a break-in, um, but the paid Bailey, the paid custodian, the one who's watching it for a fee, the professional. Well, then you got to you got to lock that stuff down. I mean, look, you're getting paid for this. That's your job. You gotta you gotta um, make sure that you're responsible for it, that. It doesn't get stolen. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So therefore, the paid Bailey. Yeah.
1: Does it have anything to do with like a
0: written contract or not? Oh, excellent question. So I was, I was, I was like flirting with the idea of mentioning this, but let me just mention it now because you asked basically like this. If there's a written contract, you go by the contract a hundred percent. If it says liability here, there, not here, not there. And both parties sign done. We're done with this class. The question is only with the absence of a written agreement Then what are the assumptions? In other words, what can the law presume? So here's what Jewish law says, and I think it's pretty reasonable. With the absence of a contract, someone who's not paid to watch something but agreed to do it is liable for negligence because don't agree to it if you're going to leave it outside a cafe, right? If if you agree to watch it, even for free, you can't be negligent. But theft and acts of God, it is what it is. But a paid bailey, someone who's being paid to watch it, higher level of responsibility. Maybe you wanna say because they're professional or maybe because they're getting paid for it. So yeah, with extra perks comes extra responsibility. What, you want money and no responsibility? Yeah, that doesn't work. If you're taking money to do a service, you gotta do it right. And that means that you're, again, even without a contract, this is without a contract, there's an assumption that you're not gonna be negligent, And you're not going to, and if there's a theft, you're on the hook for it. It's kind of like an insurance thing, again, unspoken. Okay, then, but what about an act of God? An act of God, Jewish law would say, even if you're paid, look, an act of God is an act of God. What are you going to do? Not, no liability. Make sense so far? Yes? Yes. I feel like pulling up a chart, just to be sure. Um... Okay, here we go. I'm so glad I pre-filled this chart in last night. Ta-da! This is what we just discussed. Can you see that? You got yes. it. Here is the level of responsibility and liability. Unpaid Bailey. That first. That you see that. You see my mouse like hovering around unpaid Bailey. Yes. Okay. Unpaid Bailey means where the guy says, "Hey, can you watch my laptop?" Sure. No problem. And the guy says, thanks, I'll be back in a few days. No money exchanges hands. So negligence, yeah, there's responsibility for negligence, of course. You don't don't leave it outside. Um, But theft and acts of God are not, not, uh, there's no liability. But if someone's paid to watch, they're responsible for negligence and for theft because you're providing a service, so you have to make sure it doesn't get stolen. Or if it gets stolen, you're on the hook for it. That's kind of like, that's why you're getting paid. Um, Acts of God, though, are obviously outside outside of that uh, um, level of responsibility. All right, so as this is up here, the check marks means that there's liability. The X's mean, so the green check means liability. You gotta, the the one who's watching it is on the hook for it. X means off the hook. So the unpaid Bailey is only on the hook for negligence. The paid Bailey is only off the hook for acts of God. Make sense? yes yes okay i'm yes. seeing a lot of nods. i feel like we're in a good place right now Can, i want to introduce a third relationship again all of these are relationships where somebody is holding on to something that doesn't belong to them sound familiar my kid in his phone okay and my phone so these are all cases where somebody is holding on to something that doesn't belong to them so my friend goes out of town he gives me the laptop or he pays someone to watch the laptop okay what about a third scenario and let me give you a different scenario I go to my friend and I say, hey, um, I have a big proposal to write and my laptop just broke and I'm desperate. I, need, I have a deadline. I have like 48 hours to write up this long proposal and I, I, I don't have time to purchase a laptop and set it up. You know, I, I think you may have a laptop. Are you using it now? Can you spare it? Can I borrow it for a few days? And the person says, sure, you can borrow it. So now the arrangement is not that I'm watching it for someone else's behalf, I'm borrowing it for my own benefit. Are you with me in how it's a bit of a different relationship? Yes? In the previous case, who was benefiting from it? The person that was going out of town. You were benefiting from it because you needed someone to watch your laptop while you were hopping on that flight. And so I was doing you a favor or the service was getting paid to watch it on your behalf. But in this case, the dynamic has changed because I am the borrower, which means that it's completely to my benefit, and you have no benefit. All you have is a loss of a laptop for the, mo- for the 48 hours. Are you with me on this? Yes? It's a different yes. relationship? Yes. OK. Jewish law says, again, absent of a written contract that spells this out, but Jewish law says that because the dynamic of this relationship is shifted, where all the benefit is as on, now one-sided, there's no benefit to the one who lent it out because he's losing a laptop. The only benefit is to the borrower. And there's also no skin in the game. There's no money that he gave. So it's not like the, the one who gave the laptop is getting paid for it. There's, it's, it's a complete favor on that side. All the benefit is in the hands of the, um, the borrower. And so we put the greatest liability on the side of the borrower. And thus Jewish law would say, that if the borrower is negligent and leaves it outside in a cafe, what's the law? Are they liable for negligence? Of course. Yes. Are they liable for theft? Yes. Yes. And Jewish law would say, even for an act of God, there's liability. You can't say, I'm so sorry, I can't return your laptop. I just borrowed it, but I can't return it because who would have thought a lightning bolt came and zapped it? The owner will say, I'm sorry for this act of God for that crazy occurrence, but honestly, if you didn't borrow my laptop, it wouldn't have been in your house and it wouldn't have been zapped. So, I mean, when you borrow it, you took basically 100% liability to get me back a laptop or my laptop or the equivalent value. Are you with me on this? Jewish law would say there's 100% liability in every single scenario. Um, Stan. You want to jump in?
1: Suppose, uh, yeah. Suppose the lender was compensated. Would that make a difference? Now what we're scenario
0: you... now we're talking about a renter. Now we're talking about a renter. Okay. So there's four cases. There's the unpaid Bailey, the paid Bailey, the borrower, and the renter. Let's get to the renter. The renter is the most complicated case in the Talmud. Everything that I've told you thus far is Talmudic law. You see why? There are many Jewish lawyers, right? You study a little Talmud, it's like, all right, it's, it's straight up Jewish law. So, um, straight up uh, legal, legal thinking. So now, and by the way, the Talmud was written, the mission of the Talmud, 15, 16, 1700 years ago. This is what this was being thought about these, these intricate scenarios and liability and all this stuff. Um, so, just, just, to, just, to re- just to rewind, because I, I really want this to be v- super clear. The unpaid bailey. Again, if somebody watches it, is doing somebody else a favor, so they are responsible for negligence, but otherwise, off the hook, not theft and not acts of God. Someone who got paid to watch it is now obviously liable for negligence and theft, not liable for acts of God. But someone who borrowed it has full liability all the way through, whether it was negligence or a theft, or an accident, unforeseen circumstances. Give me an example. I mean, I'm sure you can all relate to this. Somebody borrows a car, because they, they needed to borrow a car, and they parked it outside their house, and some guy comes, 3 a.m., smashes the car. Can you come back and say, I'm sorry, I didn't, I don't know how it happened. It's not my fault. Right, what's the response? I'm sorry also, but you borrowed my car. Get me back my car, or get me the money for the car. It's like, I mean, it's it is what it is. It's act of God. It's an accident. It's a theft. It's not, it doesn't matter. You borrowed it. You got full resp- full liability. But Stan is asking the good question, which takes us to scenario number four. What happens? Same scenario. So same starting point. Some guy says, I need to. I need a car. I need a car for the next um, few days. I'm sorry, I know I changed the scenario because I went with laptop before. doesn't really matter. Do, let's do laptop because let's, let's keep, it, keep it the same. Person says, okay, I need a laptop. I've got to write a proposal, 48 hours. Goes to a friend, says, hey, do you have a laptop? The guy says, sure, I'll rent you the laptop for 48 hours. You know, give me 50 bucks. Whatever, 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 75 bucks, and you can have the laptop for the next 48 hours. No problem. Gives the cash, takes the laptop. What level of liability is there? there th- we have three different cases, the unpaid Bailey, the paid Bailey, and the borrower. Where does this one align? So what do you guys think? Let's, let's, start, let's go through the case through each of the three levels. Scenario number one, person rents the laptop for 50 bucks for 48 hours and leaves it outside in a cafe and it's gone. Are they liable? Yes. Yes. Good. Fine. What happens if they rented the laptop and then it was stolen? Liable or not liable? Mm. Yeah. This is this is where the Talmud actually has a bit of a disagreement. Mm. The Talmud some, some think it's like the unpaid Bailey, no liability, and some say it's like the paid Bailey, yes liability. The halacha is Jewish law sides. The majority opinion is to say that it's like the paid Bailey, which yeah. means that there is liability. Why? Because, like this, it's all about who's getting the benefit in this scenario. And the un- for the unpaid Bailey, the person that's watching it for free, who's, who gets the benefit? the one who, the owner gets the benefit. And you're the guy or I'm the guy in this case who just, you know, did a favor but I still have a basic level of responsibility because if you're you're gonna leave it outside, then don't say yes, Um, but basic level of liability, but not beyond that. The paid Bailey, everyone gets benefit. The person gets the benefit of being able to go out of town and know that the laptop is being watched, and the guardian of the laptop is getting a benefit because they're getting paid for it. So because there's that mutual benefit, Therefore, there's a higher level of liability, as we discussed. So therefore, the majority opinion with regard to the renter says the same thing. When it comes to renting, again, I need to rent a laptop for 48 hours, I have a proposal to write, so everyone benefits. The owner of the laptop benefits because they got paid 50 bucks. I benefit because I got the laptop. Are you with me on that? So since everyone benefits, it's like the paid Bailey, and thus, there's a higher level, a little bit higher level of liability because I get the benefit of the use of the laptop. And therefore, therefore, I'm liable for theft, not liable for acts of God. That's only the borrower, but I'm liable for theft. Now, I know by now it might be a little confusing. How do, how do I know this? Because we have four different scenarios. We have four different relationships. Within each, within each, there are three different cases. But the good news is, once again, I have a chart for you. There's an app for that. Here we go with the old chart. Ah. Oh. Right below the other chart, you see how I cut that off conveniently? Scrolling down. <laughs> again, I filled in this chart last night. Here we go. Once again, unpaid Bailey is only liable for negligence, but not theft, not unavoidable mishap, i.e. acts of God. Because they're unpaid, they're doing a favor. I mean, come on already. But the paid Bailey, just going through the two we did before, the paid Bailey, the one is getting paid for the service, is absolutely on the hook for negligence negligence and theft because you're being paid to watch it. Unavoidable mishap, it is what it is. The borrower, skipping to the fourth case, the borrower is liable all the way through because look, you're borrowing it, I know you have my laptop and a lightning bolt came in, but you had my laptop, you had all the benefit, you borrowed it, you didn't give me anything for it, you're on the hook for everything, you borrowed my car. Yes, it got swallowed up by a sinkhole, but you know what? You had it outside your house. That's why it happened. That's where it was. Unavo- unavoidable mishap, you know, from, from heim bismargin, as they say in Yiddish, from today to tomorrow, it doesn't make a difference. You're liable for it. So the borrower is always liable. What about the renter? There's a bit of a dispute in, in the Talmud. But the halacha is the law is that the renter is like the paid Bailey, liable for negligence and theft, but not liable for unavoidable mishap. And the reason is because both of these middle scenarios, there is benefit on both sides. Right In the case of the renter, the renter uses it, but gives money to the other party. Paid Bailey, the person gets it watched, but is paying the other party. Does that make sense? Sort of? Yes. Now, finally, oh my gosh, the rabbi finally gets to the point. You ready for the point? You ready for this? This is going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. What happened? I'm keeping the chart up so you can see it. You can visualize it. What happens if, hold on, let me scroll down, make sure I got it right. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Okay, got it. What happens if, actually, wait, 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 wait for it. Wait, 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 wait. Here we go. Hold on, let me stop sharing. Actually, I'm gonna continue to share. Renter, borrower, okay? I have a car and I rent it to you. Okay, so we said if you rent, again, if there's a contract, there's a contract, but absent a contract, this is the law. Renting means that the renter, by default, is not liable for unavoidable mishap, which means that if, you know, something happens completely out of the blue and the car just blows up, then the renter is not liable. But the borrower would be. So what happens if I rent it to you and then you lend it to your friend, are you with me? Yeah. And Let me do that again. I rent you a car, and then you lend it to someone else, and then it blows up. So the borrower who has the car when it blew up is liable. Who do they pay? The renter. The renter. I, um, Okay, so again, so let's go through this. There's three I mean, it's the
1: parties. renter's responsibility because he rented it and then, and then he gave it to somebody else which but wasn't in the original deal. But
0: the renter is not liable for a car blowing up, right? Spontaneously. right? Exactly. A renter not liable for that, which means that if the renter came back to the owner of the car and said, hey, I'm sorry, the car is gone. It's just act of God. Who knows what happened? It's, it's gone. The renter would be off the hook and the, 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 the story would be over. But because the renter lent it to the borrower, the borrower is on the hook for that. So now the borrower needs to pay to pony up, let's say, $5,000. Okay, let's just say. So who does he pay the money to? The renter or the owner? The owner. Hold on, but the owner had a relationship with the renter. The owner's relationship with the renter is one in which there's no liability for a car blowing up. The only scenario that created that liability is because the renter gave it to the borrower. So now the question is, who does the borrower give the money to, the renter or the owner? Give it to the owner. The owner never had that relationship. Give it to the renter. Well, then what's the problem with that? The, the, renter, the, the renter literally does not own that car. So that's, you understand why this is a tricky scenario? I yeah. want to share with you, this is a Talmudic case. This is straight from the Talmud, text one. But of course, the Talmud doesn't have cars, it has cows. Here we go. <laughs> if somebody hires a cow, from a, re, hires means rent. If somebody rents a cow, it's a, even a company back in the day, rent the cow. If somebody hires a cow from another person and then lends it to someone else, and the animal dies naturally while in the borrower's care. Now, dies naturally is an act of God. That's like a car blowing up, dies naturally would be the same thing, okay? So again, person A owns the cow, rents it to person B, who then lends it to person C, and whilst in person C's care, The animal dies, natural causes, act of God, so to speak, it's gone. So here we go. The hire of the cow, that means the renter, the middle party, must take an oath before the owner to affirm that it died naturally. All he has to say is, hey, I rented this cow, but it died. Act of God. I'm so sorry. That's all he has to take an oath. He has to just swear that that's what happened. Since a hirer, the renter is not liable if the animal died or was harmed by forces beyond his control. So he's off the hook. So the renter goes to the owner, the original relationship, and says, look, the animal's dead, it's gone, act of God, I'm so sorry, and then that relationship is done. And now the second relationship kicks in, the borrower, the third party must pay the hire, the renter the value of the cow, since a borrower is liable, even if the borrowed thing died or was damaged by accident. And the borrower must reimburse the person from whom he borrowed it. This is the first opinion of the Talmud. So again, going back to my chart here, the first opinion, we're going to have a dissenting opinion. And the halakha is like the dissenting opinion. But the first opinion says that here's how it works. Um, I wish I could cover up the first two, because the first two are not necessary. It's only renter and borrower. There's the owner, renter, and borrower. The renter goes to the owner and says, I'm so sorry, it died, unavoidable mishap, and that relationship is done. Then the renter turns to the borrower and says, I lent you a cow and it died, give me the money. And the guy has to pay, the borrower pays the renter the money. The renter has thus profited, let's say, $500, the value of the cow, from the borrower. Does that make sense? Yes? I hope I didn't lose you guys. All right, second opinion. Rabbi Yossi, back in the Talmud, Rabbi Yossi disagreed with his opinion and said. And here are the key words for today's class. How can the hire do business using another person's cow? How can you do business using something that doesn't belong to you and make a profit from it? In other words, if the first opinion is correct, a very strange situation is being created, whereby the owner of the cow receives no compensation for its loss, and the hire, the renter, who does not own it, and whose right to its use is limited, receives full compensation for its loss. Rabbi Yossi says, that doesn't make any sense. Rather, says Rabbi Yossi, the owner is allowed to deal directly with the borrower cutting out the middleman. The borrower does not reimburse the hirer, but but must return the value of the cow directly to its owner. So getting back to the chart, the second opinion, Rabbi Yossi says that the owner, again, the the anonymous owner that I'm putting in this white space up here, can go straight to the borrower, says, hey, I rented it and then you borrowed it. Either way, you borrowed it and it died. You're on the hook. Don't give the money to the renter. He doesn't own the cow. Give it to me and it goes to the owner of the cow. So let's say the cow's valued, as I said before, $500. The borrower either way is on the hook for $500. He borrowed it, and it died. He's on the hook for $500. The question is, who does he give it to? Um, the first opinion of the Talmud says, you give it to the renter, because there's two different relationships, and we don't mix them. The second opinion says, no. The borrower goes, hops over the renter and goes straight to the owner. And the premise of Rabbi Yose's opinion is this first line right here, how can someone do business with something that does not belong to them. How could the renter make profit $500 off of a cow that does not belong to him? Does that make sense? Yes? Okay. Yes. In the case of my son, the hypothetical, we could apply Rabbi Yossi's logic and say, how can Mendel Solish, that's my son's name, how can Mendel Solish profit using someone else's cell phone? That would be the logic correct? If we were to apply the concept, it would be like this. Again, I, I understand that the Talmudic context is a very intricate case of different levels of liability. The liability of the renter is less than the liability of the borrower. So if first there was a renter, and then there was a borrower, and then there was a, an act of God, the animal's gone. So there's liability. Who does he pay? You cut out the according to Rabbi you cut out the middleman. But the core of the argument is, how can Somebody profit if it's not theirs. You don't. It wasn't your cow, Mr. Renter. You want five hundred dollars now for a cow that wasn't even yours? How could you get five? Why would? Why in the world would would the law state that the guy that's liable to pay the value of the animal pays someone who never even owned the animal? Rabbi, that's true, and
1: I also see that the, the borrower, um, the, the uh, middleman, should never actually lend it to the third person.
0: Some say excellent. Yeah. See, you're a Talmudist, Muriel. <laughs> you, just, you just aligned with the Namuke Yosef. The Namuke Yosef is one of the most brilliant Talmudic commentaries, And he says, you know why Rabbi Yossi says what he says? Because there was a breach of trust. Because there was a breach of trust. Mr. Renter, tear down that wall and stop lending out cows that are not yours to lend out. What is this business of sub-lending the cow that you rent? You rented a cow. There was an agreement, even if not written, that you were going to be the one taking responsibility. And now you lent it out to someone else. Then the Yosef says, no way, Jose. That's why there's a problem here. There's a breach of trust. But, unfortunately, Muriel, not all opinions align with the Yosef or what you said. Because the Talmud does not distinguish between the cases. The Talmud doesn't say that only when there is a breach of trust. In other words, what would be the case if the renter of the cow asked the owner and said, Hey, Mr. Owner of the cow, I just rented your cow for a week for $50.00. But I have a friend, a neighbor that also needs a... Why do you need a cow, by the way? Maybe it's an ox to plow your field. You know, if you have a field, you need an ox to schlep, whatever. Either way. So imagine he says to, to the owner, he says, Look, I know I rented it. I got I got a neighbor. He needs it for a few hours. Do you mind? And let's say the owner says, I don't mind. And then it dies. Act of God. Who knows? Lightning bolt. Blows. Whatever it is. I mean, hopefully not, right? We, we love cows. But let's say... Um, Let's say, I'm thinking about the Chick-fil-A ads right now. But anyway, let's say, um, right, act of God, it blows up. Would it be different? So most opinion, the Muqayi Yosef agrees with you and says, no, it's only when there's a violation of trust. But most opinions say since the Talmud did not differentiate, it would seem like even in a case where there was consent given by the owner, the argument would still hold. And the argument is, at the end of the day, even if there was consent and the owner uh, thumbs up it, Bottom line is the borrower, the neighbor that borrowed it now from the renter, is liable to pay for the full amount of the cow, 500 bucks, right? Because he's on the hook for all liability. But why should the renter get the money? It's not his cow. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's, but, but, yeah.
1: But, but the, the, the renter and the borrower, the borrower, I would think, legally only has a relationship. To the renter. Correct. He got that money, that five hundred bucks. He knows that's not his. He gives it to the to the to the party that he entered into a contract with a verbal or written. Right. And then he says, I wash my hands of it. It's up to the 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 renter to then make restitution wherever he's got to do that.
0: That's what you would think. <laughs> right? No, that's that. That's what the first opinion essentially says. That, look, there's two different relationships. Let's not make a challenge here. Let's not mix them, right? Sure. Let's keep them separate. There's one relationship between owner and renter, and that relationship is done. As long as the renter says, act of God, they're done. And then there's a second relationship, renter and borrower, where there is liability. And thus the conclusion is that the renter, the borrower, gives the money to the renter, and the renter does not need to, in turn pass it forward to the owner because that relationship is done. And it might be a good thing, a morally, ethically, you, know, spiritually, to do it, but there's no legal requirement. That's opinion number one. Rabbi Yossi comes up with a new idea, and he says, "We cannot tolerate as a system of law, a scenario where somebody is going to profit off of something that's not theirs. It doesn't make sense even though on a technicality this is the way it might otherwise seem to fall, it doesn't make sense that Mr. B, the middle person, the renter, would be able to collect and pocket $500 for a cow that he doesn't own. Because that's ultimately the outcome of of dividing the relationships. Thus, he says, legally, we're going to collapse relationships and create new lines of relationships that didn't exist before. We're going to magically... You know, Pythagorean theorem. Eight. Uh, that's, where, where
1: do the equities lie? Where do the equities lie? What do you that's mean? What, where yes. The equity, where, where, yeah, yes. Lie. Rabbi Yossi is saying, you know, let's let's look at the, the equities. Let's look at it. From, right. He's let's looking at it from a strictly legalistic uh, standpoint.
0: Right. Rabbi Yossi is more along the lines of, let's look at this holistically. Let's let's take a step back. Yeah. Right. There's a cow. There's a borrower. The cow is dead. There's a loss. He's on the hook. Who's he paying it to? Look at the big picture. It needs to go back to the owner. So that's, that's the core. Now, the halakha actually accor, um, accords with Rabbi Yosef. Which is not always... It, it depends on the... The halakha is like Rabbi Yosef. That in general, one cannot... Because of that, that issue of profiting off of something that doesn't belong to you. So... We move the money, we we create new relationships, right? A and B, and now we have a third, right, third leg of the triangle. We're creating a straight line from C to A, right? We're creating a new a new line of relationship in order to avoid someone profiting off of something that was not theirs. This leads us into four case studies, which we don't have a lot of time for. And I I don't know that we're gonna get like intricately involved in the details and resolution, but I just want to show you how relevant these discussions are in law, life, U.S. law, Jewish law. Anyway, here we go. Let's go back into the, into the text. All right, case study number one. The case of the frequent flyer. Oh, I mentioned this before. This came to a rabbi. This, came, this was before the 90s because this rabbi was born in 1913. Um, you travel a lot at a company, sorry, you travel a lot for a company at the company's expense. Due to your frequent flyer status, you are eligible for a free ticket in return for the mileage accrued. You be the judge, I love this, I love this like dynamic. You be the judge, how big that is right here. You be the judge, can you, the employee, use the free ticket, or does the, t- the free ticket belong to the company for which you work? Obviously, if there's an agreement, if there's a contract, if it's written somewhere, if the airline will allow the company to put in the mileage, to put in the frequent flyer number of the company and not... Yeah, 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 yeah. Fine. Good. But here's a scenario. Let's deal with the scenario in front of us. There's an employer, an employee, an employee is traveling on the company's dime, putting in his or her number, getting a free ticket, can you, the employee, use the ticket, or does it legally belong to the company? What do you think? Understand that at the core of it is like this. Well, I, I did the traveling, so I should get the, I should get the ticket. But then the, uh, the counter-argument is, hold on, who paid for the travel? And how can you profit off of someone else's cow? Right? I'm just going to use that phrase. Rabbi Yossi says, how can you make money, how can you profit off of someone else's cow? Are you with me? Yeah. Um, is it similar or dissimilar? There, is there any difference between this and the cow case, Rabbi Yossi's case? What do you think? It's similar. Similar. Okay. What
1: about the, what about the problem of the corporation versus the individual?
0: Mm. Good. Well, a corporation is a person, according to U.S. law, which, no, not really? All right. I don't know. That's no, true yet kind of, sort of stands. All right, I'm going to defer to Stan on this one.
1: Uh, for, for, for certain purposes, I mean, sure, a corporation has the uh, status of an individual. If you're asking whether or not it's a person, for other issues, that's a political question, which I don't want
0: to. Oh, deal with. I do not even know about the political part of it. Uh, All right, <laughs> e- well, we'll leave politics out. 11:01, we get back to politics. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We don't. Um, but anyway, so, so we'll leave that aside. But the so it's, it seems similar, somewhat similar to the case of the cow, where you have three parties. You have, let's say, the owner or the one that's you know that that bought the tickets. So they're they're financially invested in it. You have the person that did the travel. Certainly, they've been traveling, but it's part of their job. And then you have the 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 the, the airline company that's giving the free ticket. So you have three parties: A, B, and C. So the question is, who does C? Give the ticket to b or a and one would one could reasonably say that just like in the case of the cow um where rabbi Yossi says you bypass party b and go back to party a because at the end of the day they're the one with skin in the game on this so it would make sense here also the ticket should go to the company if the company wants to be nice certainly they can give it to the to the employee it might be good good business practice to keep your people happy but legally it would seem that would fall into the same parameters as our core Talmud case. Let's get to the second case though that's a little bit more complicated. Okay, case study number two. We'll see how much of these we can do. I'm gonna read this. A tenant realized that the house he, again, d- d- suspend the questions of how could that happen? Uh, legal, uh, just, just go with the case. A tenant realized that the house he lived in was not insured. He decided to take out insurance on his landlord's property. And I know what you're gonna say. No company would ever do that in 2021, correct? No company would do that. But, but this is something else. It's not renter's insurance. It's, it's, it's home insurance on someone else's property. A year later, the house burned down. The insurance company paid the tenant for the loss of the house. The landlord is now suing the tenant for this money, arguing that since he is the owner of the property, he's entitled to the money. The question is, does the axiom One cannot do business with another's property. Apply here. Or perhaps this is entirely different. Since the tenant invested money in the insurance policy, shall we consider him to be doing business with his own money? Are you with me on this? Yeah. In other words, who who owns the house? The owner. So we would typically say, look, the money, the insurance money, should go to the owner. But there's a wrinkle here. What's the wrinkle? That the middle person, party B, who's the renter of the house, didn't just is not just trying to collect the money for the house out of nowhere but he's the one that bought the insurance policy and invested that insurance money for that payout so it's different than the case of the cow why is it different in the case of the cow because in that case there was no investment what did party b do in the case of the cow right remember the cow he he rented the cow from the owner and what did he do how did he enter in a relationship with the third party It to him. he lent it to him is that would that be would you call that an investment did you, would you say that he lent it to him in order that if it died he could collect that wasn't that was it's not an investment whereas insurance might be considered an investment where he's paying the insurance right the owner didn't pay the insurance he's paying insurance every single month and that's an investment Maybe it'll burn down and then I can collect. That's one, and Maybe it's a twisted way of looking at it, but that's one way to look at it where there's an investment and party B is not so passive, and thus he should be able to collect. So you be the judge. What do you think? Should the tenant be allowed to keep the insurance money or must it be handed over to the landlord? What do you guys think? I say the tenant.
1: Tenant, because the landlord wasn't even covering the tenant, his own building. He chose right. not to cover
0: his own building. He, to- he took the risk. He gambled.
1: On the other hand, insurance companies have a thing called renter's insurance, where you insure your private property within Within. the rental unit, and it doesn't cover the building itself. Yeah,
0: this wasn't that. This was a case. This was the 1800s. If you look back at the the scenario, um, look back at the source over here and look at the bio, This went in front of Rabbi Meir Simcha Cohen of Dvinsk, who lived 1843 to 1926. This happened in the 1800s, and in the 1800s, they might not have been looking at the property records and having digital files here. You have a scenario where the owner did not have insurance on the house, and the renter was living in the house, and he pays for insurance as if he owned the house, and that's it. Now there's a relationship between party B and party C party B being the renter, party C being the insurance company. The insurance company wants to pay out. They're giving it to B. The question is, does B have to hand over the money to A, to the owner? And uh, it might seem a little bit different than the cow case, because in the cow case, the guy who rented it and then lent it didn't invest in that lending. He just lent it to to his neighbor, and then it died, or then whatever, act of God. But in this case, he actually invested. So I'll tell you what the conclusion was that happened then, and I'm not. I can't. I can't tell you that this is like the the legal, like the halacha of it. But this is what happened. The rabbis of Brud, which was a city where this happened, it was asked to this Rabbi Meir Simcha Cohen, Rabbi Meir Simcha Cohen of Dvinsk. But um, the rabbis of Brud decided on a compromise. You might not be happy with this, but this is what they decided. Were two thirds of the money, so they took the payout. Let's say the payout was $15,000. Let's just make it easy for the house. I know it's low, but whatever. Back in the day, $10,000, two-thirds, would go to the owner, and one-third to the fellow who paid for the insurance. Um, because their, their, in their calculation was the one who suffers the greater loss should receive the greater compensation, even though you could say, well, you suffered the loss, but you didn't protect yourself against it. And I get that argument, and they got that argument. But it's always good to find the compromise. They basically, the, 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 the renter, they placated by giving a third, of the, a third of the money. He basically got, you know, free money, essentially. And the owner got partial compensation for the house two-thirds of the way. And that was how they resolved it. Makes sense? Sort of. Yeah, okay, that's how they re- Okay, listen, that's how they resolved it. Henry.
1: So is this a true story?
0: That was a true story.
1: Well, uh, so I so I wonder why would the renter take insurance on the someone else's property? Was he planning on damage?
0: That's a that's a great question. Maybe he wanted a yeah. Maybe he was thinking that he would collect the money if something were to happen i don't know it's a great question it's a great question renter's insurance makes sense as barbara said but this wasn't renter's insurance maybe it covered everything including the rent the 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 stuff inside the house i i don't know i don't have all that information i want to very quickly i know we have like we're really at the time here so just very quickly i want to jump to let me just see we have case three but really case four is so fascinating do i have it here Oh, Moore versus UCLA. Okay, so again, just very, very quickly, I'm just going to stop sharing and share with you this final case. Um, So here here was a fellow. His name was John Moore. 1976, he visited UCLA Medical Center after he was diagnosed with hairy cell leukemia. And doctors and researchers took samples of his blood, bone, marrow, and bodily fluids. And ultimately, they, they produced a protein from his blood cells that they found were very unique. They then created a protein that helps pr- protect the body from infections that then came that then has been used in, in various met, for various medical purposes. The, 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 the technique and the technology and the actual stuff was patented, and there's profit, and then Moore sued for his share in the profits, basically saying he never consented to this, never consented. And certainly, um, deserves to be compensated for this, and the question is again: If you look at UCLA, and you say yes, you did stuff, but how can you profit off of someone else's body? That was his. That was Moore's. Moore's argument was: You're profiting off of my body. Are you with me? You're doing business with my body. You took my cells, and now you're profiting, and that's uh, how. That's not kosher. You got to give me my my fair share. I mean, you also invested UCLA Medical Center in in this, but I, it's my cells. Um, What's interesting is, is that Jewish law might have a different take on it because Jewish law does not believe that we own our bodies. We can own our house, but we don't own own our bodies. And thus, Moore's argument that it's my cells that I own, that actually might fall short completely in Jewish law because of this wrinkle of not owning, in a legal sense, our bodies. It's more of a custodial relationship than an ownership relationship. So who's the ultimate owner? God. So go give God the prophets or something else. Not the prophets of the PH or those also. Alright, that takes it. You with me on this? Yes? Did we end yeah. in a confusing way? Okay, I hope it's not, it's not so confusing. The moral of the story is that we may own our stuff, but our bodies and our lives are sacred, entrusted to us from a higher source. So let's take care of ourselves and be healthy and live with live a life with purpose. All right, that takes us to the end of today's session. Hope you enjoyed- That's What happened? With what?
1: With the, did he get the money?
0: Oh, with more? Let me go back to my Wikipedia page, hold on. What happened at the end? Um, here we go. Um, the claim was rejected by the LA, Los Angeles Superior Court initially, but in 1988, the California Court of Appeals ruled that blood and tissue samples were once owned personal property and that patients could have a right to share in profits derived from them according to the los angeles times moore later negotiated what he called a token settlement with ucla that covered his legal fees based on the fact that he wasn't informed and hadn't agreed to the research but he did establish what it seems like a precedent in law and somebody else could look this up and verify again this is i'm just working off the wikipedia page here that there is legally seems to be an argument that blood and tissue samples to are one's personal property and thus the patient should have the right to profit from that. There you go. Isn't there also
1: some kind of agreement that a patient is asked to sign
0: probably as a res- pro- pro- probably as a result of this case? Okay. This is why there are lawyers in every area of life because of previous litigation, previous complication that's why everything has a contract and when you go i'm sure now in 2021 before any procedure is done somewhere in those documents that are being signed is either you know completely giving up any rights or some sort of mediation agreement about some sort of something i would imagine you're giving up your rights you waive your rights when you uh, consent to um to test nowadays i would imagine i'm not a lawyer i would imagine Sorry.
1: At ancestry.com. Oh, no, sorry. Here. Ancestry.com was taking people's DNA, and I don't know what the end result is, but I don't know. You have to sign something now, or or yeah. like you were kind of tricked. You had to sign something, but you didn't realize you were signing your DNA. There were
0: other, there were other, there were other Ancestry.com style cases. One broke the uh, the the Golden State Killer. You know this cal- this mass murder yeah. in California. Yeah. That was an yeah. incredible story. Oh my gosh, don't get me started in true crime stuff. I'm a big fan. No, I'm not, I'm not a crime, but like, this is like, DNA is, is completely compelling. But yeah, they were using DNA matches to find, and there wasn't consent given for that. And uh, can you imagine what this guy was probably saying? Like, my relatives had to be on this thing to then they should catch me. But thank God he was caught. So, and, and you think like morally and legally and ethically, you're torn because, you know, where does privacy, you know can uh, you know um um intersect with the public benefit of crime solving and this is a question in apple versus the fbi when it comes to cell phones and and breaking into them these are there are a lot of questions but anyway so getting back to today's just to kind of bring it all together we talked today about doing business with somebody else's stuff generally speaking jewish law says that absent of a specific contract one is one ought not profit or one doesn't make sense that one is profiting with something that doesn't belong to them but if there's an investment from that party then they can um they can share in the profits and if it's one's body well then u.s law and jewish law have a different take on that u.s law literally says it's your body you can have a share in it again unless there's a contract whereas jewish law says your body not yours anyway so the whole thing is uh, is a moot point all right um Thank you for joining me today. Jo- yes, Muriel.
1: Rabbi, so in your story, Mendel owes you a thousand dollars.
0: In my fictional story, Mendel owes me a fictional thousand dollars. Yes. Thank you.
1: Fictional thousand.
0: Yes. Which, by the way, I've collected so many fictional thousand dollars, you have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> Rabbi. Yes.
1: Next week is no class, correct?
0: I have no idea what's going on next week. Uh,
1: yes. Yeah. Uh, is it I, a I, thought, is it a high holiday? No, oh, it's how? How? How no. how. It, no. 17
0: uh, oh okay yeah yeah okay cool by the way thanks for reminding me thanks for reminding me good.
1: So yes Rabbi Ari I'll send you an email to, to remind you yeah I'll send an email out to the class to let them know we're gonna go one place.
0: and by the way guys let everybody else know right others that are not here how much fun yeah, they're missing I'm gonna email no 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 literally let everyone else know how much fun they're missing by not being I in this cl- I'm, just sa- I'm just saying I'm just saying i am just saying You can't have more fun between 10 and 11 on a Tuesday morning. It's not possible. By the way, next session, um, which is going to be in two weeks' time. Hold on. What are we doing? We're doing, um, oh, gosh, what was it? I just wanted to give you a quick heads up on it because it was really good. Um, Oh, wow. What happens if one has to steal to save a life? Oi. No 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 not st- no not I'm body snatching but what if somebody has to resort to theft in order to yeah. save a life it's yeah. like i had to break into a home to escape, so is one liable yeah. for that okay anyway come back in 2 weeks we'll we'll be there we'll discuss it we'll schmooze, we'll have fun Thanks. all right thank you everybody pleasure thank you. great to see thank you all you. take care everybody thank you bye guys bye take care my pleasure thank
1: you.